This is the Living Prophets Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Maxmeister. Continuing with our theme of empire, this episode is dedicated to looking at the story of Mahatma Gandhi in India about a hundred years ago. And because there is no audio material really available for Gandhi, I have taken the three-hour-long epic story of Gandhi from Richard Attenborough, 1982, and I've broken it down into about 15 minutes of clips that can show the arc of Gandhi's life and discovery, how to fight against the British Empire, and what he learned along the way. He also has an autobiography called My Experiments with Truth. So what you'll hear first in the beginning of this film is Gandhi in South Africa, just arrived, going to work on a train, and discovering for the first time the grave inequity that existed between white, Boer, Dutch, and British citizens, and Indians, and black South Africans. Excuse me, sir. How long have you been in South Africa? A week. I don't know how you got a ticket. Just what are you doing in this car, Uli? I have a ticket. A first-class ticket. How did you get hold of it? I sent for it in the post. I'm an attorney and I didn't have time There to... are no coloured attorneys in South Africa. Go and sit where you belong. I'll take your luggage back, sir. No, no, no. Just a moment, please. You see? Mohandas K. Gandhi, attorney at law. I'm on my way to Pretoria to conduct a case for an Indian trading firm. Didn't you hear me? There are no coloured attorneys in South Africa. Sir! I was called to the bar in London and enrolled at the High Court of Chancery. I am, therefore, an attorney. And since I am, in your eyes, coloured, I think we can deduce that there is at least one coloured attorney in South Africa. Smart, bloody Kaffer. Throw him. Just move your black ass back to third class, or I'll have you thrown over the next station. But I always go first class. I've travelled all... Here you have a young man of privilege who had to learn that there were more important things in life than always traveling first class. When he was in London studying to become a barrister, he fell in with other students who had a passion for natural philosophy. They turned him on to Henry David Thoreau, Waldo Emerson, Leo Tolstoy, and even gave him a copy of an English translation of the Bhagavad Gita. These things turned him from a secular youth into someone who was spiritually minded. He devoured all of these scripts with an open mind and developed his own philosophy, which would later become a hisma from the Bhagavad Gita. He had little interest in the Bible at the time, except for the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. That captivated him and opened his mind to a different way of seeing Christianity than everything he had seen in the Christian world up to that point. In this next scene, he's talking to a large group of Sikhs, Muslims, and Hindus in South Africa, trying to motivate them to take on a nonviolent approach to change. 
All Indians must now be fingerprinted, like criminals, men and women. No marriage other than a Christian marriage is considered valid. Under this act, our wives and mothers are whores, and every man here is a bastard. He has become quite good at this. Whatever they do to us, we will attack no one, kill no one, but we will not give our fingerprints, not one of us. They will imprison us, they will fine us, they will seize our possessions, but they cannot take away our self-respect if we do not give it to them. Have you been to prison? They beat us and torture us. I say that we I am asking you to fight. To fight against their anger, not to provoke it. We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them. And through our pain, we will make them see their injustice. And it will hurt, as all fighting hurts. They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body, not my obedience. Gandhi went on to organize the Indians in South Africa against the British Empire in what would become the first large-scale example of civil disobedience in the modern times. It took several years, and he was jailed along with all of his accomplices, but after many years of fighting this battle, he succeeded. And in fact, the general who was in charge of the country for the empire respected him and wished him well and sent him off as he returned to India to go fight the fight against India in a sense. In this next clip, this is one of his speeches at a large gathering Congress party in India, a group of mostly wealthy Indians who were fighting against the empire using politics. And he had traveled the country by train, as shown in the movie, to trying to discover who and what the real India was before he started to speak for it or about it. Since I returned from South Africa, I have traveled over much of India, and I know that I could travel for many more years and still only see a small part of her. And yet I already know that what we say here means nothing to the masses of our country. Here, we make speeches for each other and those English liberal magazines that may grant us a few lines. But the people of India are untouched. Their politics are confined to bread and salt. Illiterate they may be, but they're not blind. They see no reason to give their loyalty to rich and powerful men who simply want to take over the role of the British in the name of freedom. This Congress tells the world it represents India. My brothers, India 
is 700,000 villages. Not a few hundred lawyers in Delhi and Bombay. Until we stand in the fields with the millions that toil each day under the hot sun, we will not represent India. Nor will we ever be able to challenge the British as one nation. And you can see that he's beginning to clearly identify the distinctions between protesting and civil disobedience that is nonviolent, based on his religious understanding of ahimsa, which is a nonviolent philosophy coming out of Hinduism. It's gone beyond remedies like passive resistance. If I may, I for one have never advocated passive anything. We must never submit to such laws. And I think our resistance must be active and provocative. Over the new it civil... Would excuse me, Your Excellency. It is our view that matters have gone beyond legislation. We think it is time you recognized that you are masters in someone else's home. Despite the best intentions of the best of you, you must, in the nature of things, humiliate us to control us. You don't think we're just going to walk out of India? Yes. In the end, you will walk out. Because 100,000 Englishmen simply cannot control 350 million Indians if those Indians refuse to cooperate. And that is what we intend to achieve. Peaceful, non-violent, non-cooperation till you yourself see the wisdom of leaving your excellency as you can see my city is a sea city always full of hindus muslims sikhs jews persians my family sect was the pranami Hindu, of course. But in our temple, the priest used to read from the Muslim Quran and the Hindu Gita, moving from one to the other as if it mattered not which book was being read as long as God was being worshipped. When I was a boy, I used to sing a song in the temple. He bows to all and despises none. Like all other boys, I sang the words, not thinking what they meant or how they might be influencing me. I've traveled so far, and all I've done is come back home. Where are we going? I'm going back to the ashram, then I'm going to prove to the new viceroy that the king's wit no longer runs in India. Salt. Yes, sir. He's going to march to the sea and make salt. Mr. Gandhi will find it takes a great deal more than a pinch of salt to bring down the British Empire. Is it all over if they arrest you now? Not if they arrest me or a thousand or ten thousand. It's not only generals who know how to plan campaigns. What if they don't arrest you? What if they don't react at all? Something for your notebook. The function of a civil resistor 
is to provoke response. And we will continue to provoke until they respond or they change the law. Mm -hmm. They are not in control. We are. That is the strength of civil resistance. Men need salt as he needs air and water. This salt comes from the Indian Ocean. Let every Indian claim it as his right. And so, once more, the man of non-violence has challenged the might of the British Empire. And so the struggle continued over decades as Gandhi and the Indian resistance fought against the British Empire in India. And after World War II, they ended up doing what he said they would. They abandoned India and the idea of colonialism as the world had changed, and they walked away. But the amazing success of Gandhi was not without some failures as well. For he could unite the Indians against the British Empire, he was still unable to unite the Muslims and the Hindus and the Sikhs and the different castes together as one democracy under one India. And what happened after India got its independence? Well, there was something of a civil war and Pakistan and India split. And all the people who were in Pakistan who were Hindus were expected to migrate and start over somewhere in India. And all the Muslims in India were expected to migrate over to Pakistan. It was bloody and it was chaotic. And what you see in this next scene is the tales of Gandhi going again on a massive hunger strike and saying that he would not eat or drink any food until the fighting had stopped. Here, eat! I'm going to hell, but not with your death on my soul. Only God decides who goes to hell. I killed a child. I smashed his head against a wall. Why? They killed my son, my boy. The Muslims killed my son. I know a way out of hell. Find a child. A child whose mother and father have been killed. A little boy or boss. Listen, I, and raise him as your own. Only be sure that he is a Muslim and let you raise him as one. Go. In 1948, Gandhi was assassinated by Hindu extremists who didn't want Gandhi making peace with the Muslims. They felt he ceded too much of India to Pakistan in the partitioning. Even as Gandhi fasted and led multi-denominational prayers to restore peace across the country, they met him there and shot him four times to stop the unity and the compromise. For many in India, the very message that had united the giant subcontinent against the British was now discarded as an obstacle to the different factions' agendas. Too many Indians wanted a Hindu India, and other factions wanted more power and more autonomy from the Hindus. The difference between an activist and a prophet is that the prophet doesn't stop just with the outsiders. 
they continue to probe and question at every layer of society, trying to erase the injustices. And ultimately, that is why so many prophets are executed. Their message is too hard for many people to accept when it is turned back on themselves. object of this massive tribute died as he had always lived a private man without wealth without property without official title or office dignitaries from all over the world have joined hands today to pay homage to this little brown man in the loincloth who led his country to freedom he was a man who made humility and simple truth more powerful than empires. And Albert Einstein added, generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this, ever in flesh and blood, walked upon this earth. I came to Gandhi, I was so deeply moved by the message that I went away and bought several books, never realizing that uh, I would live in a situation where it would be useful and meaningful. It seems to me that there are three ways that oppressed people can deal with their oppression. What are they, Dr. King? Well, one is to rise up in the open violence, in physical violence. And some persons have used that method, persons who have been oppressed. But I think the danger of that method is its futility. I feel that violence creates many more social problems than it solves. May I interrupt you there, Dr. King? There are today certainly people who are forced to endure a kind of injustice that neither you nor even Gandhi in his time had ever seen. You truly believe then that nonviolence is the sole, the universal answer to injustice and oppression? Very definitely. Very definitely. I feel that um, nonviolence is the most powerful weapon weapon that oppressed people can use in breaking a loose from the bondage of oppression. Now the other method that one might use is that of resignation or acquiescence. But I think that is just as bad as violence because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. I think uh, one who believes in non-violence must recognize the dimensions of evil within human nature. And there is a danger that one can indulge in a sort of superficial optimism, thinking man is all good. I try to be realistic at that point. Just how earth-shattering was Gandhi's legacy? Not only did he liberate India, he ended the concept of colonialism as an acceptable practice worldwide, leading to the eventual independence of all of Africa and many parts of Asia. Prophets throughout the ages have spoken of the righteousness and justice of this approach of nonviolent change, but Gandhi operationalized it 
as the original community organizer, he was able to show that this could work on a large scale against even the largest empires. And later, when researchers looked into the question of whether violent extremism or nonviolent protest was more effective at achieving its aims, it turns out, as Erica Chenoweth explains in this talk, that the nonviolent people win hands down. So for the next two years, I collected data on all major nonviolent and violent campaigns for the overthrow of a government or territorial liberation since 1900. The data cover the entire world and consist of every known case where there were at least a thousand observed participants. This is hundreds of cases. Then I analyzed the data and the results blew me away. From 1900 to 2006, nonviolent campaigns worldwide were twice as likely to succeed outright as violent insurgencies. And there's more. This trend has been increasing over time so that in the last 50 years, nonviolent campaigns are becoming increasingly successful and common, whereas violent insurgencies are becoming increasingly rare and unsuccessful. This is true even in those extremely brutal authoritarian conditions where I expected nonviolent resistance to fail. Countries in which people wage nonviolent struggle were way more likely to emerge with democratic institutions. Erica goes on to illustrate that just 3.5% of a population actively engaged in nonviolent, non-cooperation with a government can take it down. You might have thought that you need a much larger fraction of the population, but it's just a small number of people that can make a huge difference if they are truly non-cooperative. The reason nonviolent protests are getting more effective is because we have moved away since the Enlightenment from condoning state violence. Going back to ancient times, if you looked at the Romans, and before them the Greeks and the Persians, all the way to the Assyrians, if you read and listen to Dan Carlin's podcast, Hardcore History, it's pretty clear that the Assyrian Empire would have executed all those who opposed it and their families and everyone in the family line. Abandoning barbaric rule and changing societal norms over these past centuries has made for peaceful change to be possible. It is part of our moral evolution as spiritual beings to embrace difference and resolve disputes. And it would be our future growth to reject barbaric practices we accept today. Governments regularly lie to their citizens and deceive each other when it suits them. Empires exploit the poor and all those who lack the agency to demand respect and rights. Countries hide behind documents, passports, citizenship, status, to refuse a universal human rights to exist that would roam the world regardless of borders. The rich still get more privileges under the law than everyone else. We have only just begun to reject the rules of the ancient barbarism, and there will be generations of growth ahead. Many years ago, he looked out through a glassless window, all that he could see was Babylon Beautiful green fields and dreams He learned to measure the stars But there was a worry in his 